0: Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our podcast.
1: Listen, do what you got to do to keep us around, okay?
2: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Weaver Simmons. The contents of this podcast are strictly for informational purposes and not to be construed in any way as legal advice. If you have an issue that you believe requires legal advice, we suggest you contact a lawyer. And if you do not have the financial means to do so, contact Legal Aid Ontario or the Law Society of Ontario. The links are provided in the description below.
0: Welcome to the inaugural episode of Off the Cuff LLP. Uh, My name is Darren Chohan. I'll be your host tonight. I'm a partner at Weaver-Simmons practicing civil and family litigation.
1: And I'm Matt Butler, and I'm an associate who practices family law at Weaver-Simmons. Our show and
0: our episode tonight is brought to you by our sponsor, Weaver-Simmons uh, LLP, one of the largest
1: firms in uh, Northern Ontario. Uh, the views and opinions expressed during this podcast and subsequent podcasts are not the views and opinions of Weaver-Simmons. Uh, anything we say on the podcast today is not to be construed as independent legal advice or replace advice that you may have had. Um, if there's something going on in your life, if you have an issue that needs sort of guidance, um, independent legal advice or representation. We would advise you to contact a lawyer and retain one. and if you don't have the financial means to do so, then you should contact either legal aid Ontario or the law Society of Ontario. and we're going to put the links at the bottom of uh, this video for ease of reference.
0: Thanks, Matt. And you know we're here we're here today talking about legal issues and and we're bringing to the viewers and listeners an episode or episodes and series of uh, topics. But can you explain? you know why we wanted to do this.
1: First and foremost we thought of a way to give back to the community. Um, It's something that we've been we've been talking about and just um, a way to give back that's not mundane or just you know boilerplate and we thought this podcast would be great because we spend so much time in each other's offices not just each other's but other people's offices discussing our files, discussing legal issues and discussing changes of the law and even client management sometimes and we thought what is being said in these offices, behind the scenes sort of of the approach we take to law, it's interesting. And the law is supposed to be accessible to all and not just to us. And the way we talk about it in our offices is a way of explaining it to to the public. And we thought it would be interesting to to put a camera in front of us and, and just discuss yeah. these, these things. Well, and it's,
0: it's funny you say that because more often than not, people are walking by our offices or listening to us talk. And they're always saying, you know... Whatever you guys are talking about, it's, it's really interesting. And I think that, that that started this snowball effect of us wanting to do this podcast and this uh, this show because, you know, as Matt said, what we talk about um, is and can be accessible. You know, this, uh, this show is not meant to educate lawyers. This show is meant for the everyday listener to understand and appreciate legal issues and to, you know, have a listen about an issue or topic that we're covering that, that day and take away from that what you could do in that situation and of course we would encourage you at that point to to seek legal advice if you do find yourself in a complicated situation but we want to explain to you some of the things that we talk about because when we're in our offices talking it's not just legal jargon you know we are approaching these issues as everyday people would and that's what we want to communicate you know the life of a lawyer is not just this stuffy experience that people seem to think that we are it's we're people too, and, and we like to share what we learn. And sometimes it's difficult for us to share that in a context, um, you know, where we can't necessarily access the public. And this is we thought one of the greatest venues to be able to do so. And so that brings us to today's topic and why we're here today. And you know, Matt and I talked at length about this topic. And given all the changes in the world with COVID, and given all the things that are happening right now with um, mobility and people moving around and of course you already know that we practice family law and so one of the charged issues we're hearing about in our practices and a lot of phone calls are coming to us uh, is about this topic of relocation and what that practically means when you're wanting to relocate with your children uh, and of course we're talking about separated spouses uh, that have kids uh, it's when one person let's say gets a job in a different city or for whatever reason their their life circumstances change or um, family circumstances change and they want to move but that move necessitates taking the kids if there's a custodial arrangement or um, perhaps staying behind as the non-custodial parent and that comes with a lot of emotion and so today's topic we're going to try to explore you know what do you do when you're faced with that situation. So Matt what do we do when when someone wants to move with their kids then?
1: Well, the first thing we have to look at is, that, is there an order, and agreement in place? Okay, so let's say for the purposes
0: of tonight's uh, yep. episode, we have a custodial arrangement. Mom is the primary parent, okay? The parties have a final order. This is typically what we will see, right? These are the We've facts this, that come yeah. to us, right? Uh, Mom is the one that has what we used to call sole custody, but now, of course, we call it uh, decision-making responsibility, and that, that's been a change uh, recently in the law. And you have dad, who is the access parent, but now we call him, he has parenting time with, with the child. So the number of children doesn't matter in this scenario, we'll just say there's one child. Um, and dad sees this child uh, every second weekend and perhaps a day during the week.
1: Right, so in, in that situation, the, one of the biggest changes we've seen is that the notice requirements. So the, the moving party, so in this case, mom, if she wants to move, has to give at least 60 days notice uh, for, of the proposed move. And to do so in that notice, she has to do the date of the move, um, the address of the move, the contact information of where she's going to be living, um, and also the plan, the parenting plan. What are you going to do to facilitate not only the relationship with the, with the child and the father, but the time spent, the actual parenting time? And within those 60, so it's 60 days from the move, it's two months, not a lot of time. And then the the father in this scenario has 30 days to object with a letter or whatever that says, I don't consent to this move. And at that point, you essentially only have 30 days from the move to get into court and get an order. Frankly, almost impossible to do so. So... In those situations, I think it behooves the mother in this situation. It benefits her and the child, as well as the father, to give much more than 60 days. Now, I don't see a way or a reason why not to do, give more than 60 days. Sometimes it may not be possible, but more notice gives you more time to sort of work out these sort of issues, I think, anyways. Right, because I think we
0: don't live in a perfect
1: world. No. And
0: inevitably, it's family law litigation. So what's going to happen? Well, of course, dad's going to object, right? I mean, I think that that's, dad's probably going to object if you've not given the appropriate notice or if he's taken by surprise. And so when often, oftentimes when we're advising our clients to do these things, it's be transparent, right? It, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt key. to be transparent. No. Because the, the more secretive and the more uh, time you spend trying to hide your plan, the less likely it is you're going to be successful in achieving your end goal. And so what we tell our clients to do and what you should do generally is if you're thinking about moving, if you have this plan formulating, advise the other parent because remember you're not, even though you may have sole decision-making authority, you are still affecting sometimes significantly the time that the other party's gonna get to spend
1: with the child. Right, and like we, we've we dealt with, with matters where it's from Sudbury to North Bay or North Bay to Timmins and these things are, in, are still in Northern Ontario but we've seen in case law where someone's moving to then a different country and then how do you, you know, with 60 days notice I'm leaving to another country, you're going to get an objection and then good luck getting an order in place. So transparency in family law it is so key but giving them more than 60 days notice is sometimes a fallacy as well because it's family litigation it's so emotionally charged oftentimes you're not going to get great cooperation because frankly if there's great cooperation we don't become involved
0: yeah and i think that that brings me to my next thought on this and i think the law was and the law was just changed back this this march of 2021 and I think that this is kind of a a failure in the legislation that it only gives parties a little bit of time to get their court order because what the law says is if that person objects, well, you're stuck. You can't move without a court order. That's what the law says. So now you're in a position where you haven't been in litigation for perhaps many years and you're forced back into court and somebody's
1: gotta make a move. Yeah, that's tough. Because then be, now we're, we're dealing with an access to justice issue where, you know, you know in the, in the courts in Sudbury right now, we're, we're booking things in March. So to get an urgent date within a very, you know, specific period of time, sometimes it's, it, it's impossible. Sometimes it is. And, and you're relying on other people to schedule things to get a specific date. And then even when you get a date, you may not get an order until weeks later. So the the timing is so it is so key, and like the sixty day and the thirty day notice periods, in theory are great, as it's supposed to move it along. It's not how it works sometimes. But the it's law, not the reality
0: of it, sometimes. and the law's not giving the law doesn't give anybody a special route into court, right? No, just it because just because you have this like emotionally charged, very urgent issue to you, doesn't mean the court is gonna move the water and get you in for a hearing. That's because, a great point, yeah. as you just said, you're booking something into March. And to expand on that, that's your first appearance before a judge, effectively. Yeah. that's a conference date. That's day. a conference date. Yeah. And so we're sitting here today is, is November. And we're looking at a first time to meet with a judge, March, April? Yeah. I mean, if you're somebody who has secured a place to work, secured a spot in school for that child, you've secured... A house you've bought a house or you've you've taken all these steps, which is of the fallacy of this whole thing, is because you can't get a court order without doing all those steps. It's
1: very difficult if you don't.
0: But have a plan. if you don't have a plan, yeah. you're not going to get the court order. But then what do you do? Because if you can't move absent a court order and you have to tell your employer, hey hey wait for me, you lose your job potentially.
1: And what happens if if a judge sees? sort of the scenario, and goes, there needs to be a trial. Well, a trial is not just something that, okay, we'll do that next week. No, no, no. there's got to be, there's tons of preparation. The evidence needs to be done properly and presented properly and filed properly. And then we have the family law rules to to adhere to. And all of a sudden, we're looking at timelines that are not even possible if I have a job that needs to be accepted or I need to start in two weeks they well, this is in need of a trial. You're not getting a trial in two weeks. No. Like, There's no way. Especially if it's gonna be a two, three-day trial, you need a judge, you need the court time, and then frankly, if you have two lawyers, then you need their availability as well. And not to mention access to financial resources
0: Absolutely. To, to do this. You have to find a lawyer who can do this on an urgent basis, and I mean, we get so many calls that say, hey, I need this done yesterday, but you know, can you get it done for me in 10 days? And it is almost nearly impossible to drop everything we're doing to, to get this done. In certain circumstances, we can do it and we do do it. Um, but again, that's that there's an access to justice issue there for, yeah. for costs. There's a cost issue uh, and there's also issues that um, you you're, when you're trying to find lawyers to do this work, uh, it's time-consuming. So you're stuck as the one who wants to move and facing an objection. You're almost faced with barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier and there's there's
1: no help. That's why notice right when you're thinking about moving is so important, I think. I I don't see a reason why you can't give notice when you're even thinking about it. Just because if you're you're putting on the other person's radar and then you can actually potentially work something out. Um, And if you can't, then you can litigate, but like you said, without a proper plan in place where all the employment I'm going to is a better employment, the living arrangements better, there are more services in this city. Those are factors that a judge needs to take into account, but to do so you need to get the ball moving on it. But if you have the ball moving on and you've taken steps to sort of relocate and then all of a sudden it gets sort of pulled back or you're waiting months kind of in the state of limbo that's not not really great for not only the parent but the child because they may be in limbo as well so it becomes quite complex that's why notices right away and if you're thinking about moving you might want to call a lawyer then just to see what 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 are the notice requirements and then what are the next steps to take especially if you have an order if you have a final order in place then you need to bring a motion to change as opposed to an app so the different you know legal Uh, procedural routes that you need to consider first and foremost so contact a lawyer as soon as you may think about moving and you know we
0: the old line would somebody please think about the children well you got to think about the kids because if you're if your kid is being pulled in ten different directions and you've told you've already told your child hey by the way in in 30 days we're moving to another city and then uh, after that the the other party says oh wait a minute pump the brakes yeah then where are you left with
1: yeah i think it's really important for because i've advised this to clients i know you have as well is that the, the decisions you make when it comes to your children have to be child focused you can't just look at well this is better for me so inherently it's better for the children in some respects it can be right if you're moving to if you're let's say for example you live in sudbury but your family's somewhere else mom dad sister whomever is somewhere else and you want to you've separated from your spouse you have an order and you go i think i would be better if i would just to get support there for myself that just doesn't in and of itself mean that you can move just because well my family's there it still needs to be child focused you go what's my plan if i move what's the plan for the child so and i think that you need to take into account and i think that
0: leads into our next sort of topic on this issue of maximum contact i think that At this point, uh, we'll just take a moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll get back right into it after our break.
2: This episode of Off the Cuff is brought to you by Weaver-Simmons LLP, Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver-Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below.
0: Welcome back. We left off. Matt and I were talking about uh, the maximum contact principle, and of course, to the listeners, that's some um, legal jargon. But uh, that, what that really means, is, is, you know, how much can the parent that's going to be losing out on seeing their children? Uh, can actually then see them. And so Matt can, i let Matt get into that a little bit more.
1: The, the general sort of approach for the maximum contact principle is that it is generally in the child's best interest to have as much contact with both parents as, as much as possible, all, but obviously in accordance with their best interest. So essentially what the court wants to do is to make sure that the child spends time with mom, time with dad, or time with Two parents that are of the same sex as much as possible but as long as it continues to be in their best interest
0: right and that's why we focused a lot earlier on the notice provisions and why it's important to be transparent and I can't stress enough you know family litigation is emotional and it doesn't hurt to just be honest with the other party because sometimes you'll be surprised and sometimes you of course won't be but if you give enough notice, you can avoid some of these issues going forward because we just saw in a recent case from this earlier this year, you know, mom only gave two days notice. And she was,
1: of course, unsuccessful. And what do you do with two days notice? You Nothing. can't get anything done. No. There's no plan in place. There's no transparency. It's just it's not the child's best interest. Point blank. Right.
0: And two days doesn't even give anybody the opportunity to evaluate what's in the kid's best interest or the no. children's best interest because that in, of, in and of itself is one party saying, my needs trump yours. And of course, looking at these issues from a my needs trump your needs is wrong. Well, and, 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 and that's not child focused. No. And that's why, you know, of course, anybody who's been involved in family litigation will have heard this best interest of the children analysis. But what does that mean practically? Like in this
1: context? In the context of a move, well, he, let's go back. Let's take a step back of a final order. Yeah. This okay. is already this is someone where mom wants to leave. She has a final order, and she has decision making responsibility, and the majority of the time, the best, the best interest of the child test at that point has already been done, because there's a final order in place. So for mom to move, let's say there is the there, there's the sixty days notice, dad has objected, then mom at that point doesn't have to prove the move is in the best interest of the child. Dad has to prove that the move is not in the child's best interest. Essentially, he has to prove that it's in the best interest of the child to remain in the place that they're currently in, the status quo. Why the status quo is in the child's best interest.
0: And that's that's something that has been changed recently. That's, that's, new. that's, that's new. That's new, and, that, yeah. and that's an important change because that, was historically not recognized. That burden of proof was always placed or generally placed on the person who wanted to move. It was always on the moving party. Yeah.
1: Whoever wanted to move, they had to prove that it was in the child's best interest.
0: And now what we're seeing, and it's it's a really good change a lot, I, I agree with this part of the legislation that came in, uh, is that it does give the opportunity to reverse that burden of proof onto the other party who's saying, hey, I don't want to move, or I don't want you to move because that recognizes sometimes that in family litigation, you have people objecting out of spite or you have people objecting will. for you'll, reasons. you that all the time. Yeah, right? And so when you then are able to make that party, say call their bluff, right? You're calling their bluff. You're saying, hey, sure, yeah. I want to move. I have custody of the child. It's in the child's best interest for me to move, but you're still objecting. Okay, well, now you can tell the court... Why I shouldn't be allowed to move?
1: But we're going to see issues because now I'm thinking of an issue where the passage of time. Let's say you have an order where the child, where when the child was three, now the child's ten. That's seven years. So you can say, well, the best interest at the time he was the child was three was this. Now, if they're ten, seven years passed. So I would I I do like the the. The the onus being on the party saying, well, if I have decision making most of the time, then it's for you to say why it's not in the best interest. But if we're going to take dad's sort of side on this one, I'm saying for seven years, this has been the status quo for seven years. This is what the child's known. So I would say. In that situation, it would almost it would, it would behoove the father to just say the status quo works well for the child, notwithstanding any benefit the child could have with the move. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a balancing act because you're saying, like, I have decision-making, I have primary residence, therefore you have to prove. You're going, whoa, 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 you're disrupting a status quo for seven years. So we're going to see a lot of issues there. Yeah, That's that. That, that sort of balancing act between this is in the child's best interest when he was three, but now the child's ten and you're having to prove it's not in the best interest, so it becomes complex there. And I, I like where you're going with that, because
0: status quo, that's another word that's thrown around in family yeah. litigation, like, you
1: know. But it's a, so important. I know. And status quo is so important in family law. And what's really
0: interesting is that the status quo of one parent, it's all about perception. It could be different to the other parent, because when you're looking at it from the lens of let's say our scenario here, the status quo to mom is I've always been the primary caregiver. It's been my job to look after this human for the last seven years. Why why are you showing up now and saying I can't go? And then you're looking at from dad's lens, dad is saying, Wait a minute, my status quo is that I've enjoyed this parenting time for seven years.
1: And it's also And
0: and, and this child is rooted in this community.
1: Rooted in the community and just because you're the access parent or the parenting time parent, let's say, because what we see sort of traditionally is dad or whomever the access parent is, or the parenting time parent, has from Friday to Sunday every second weekend. Yeah. How many times have we seen that? Uh, Mo- yeah, most of the orders we see sometimes have that kind of, those types of provisions. That's like the norm, right? I suppose. That's kind of the norm. So. It's kind of what we just sort of throw in there. Mm-hmm. We go, nah, just live with it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you have holiday time, If you have, let's say, because we see this a lot where summer it's week about, week on, week off. You're going, well, now you're going to disrupt that potentially? What about Christmas time? Especially if you're living in, like, if you go from Sudbury to Vancouver, there's flights to do here. Like, it's it's not a simple, ah, we're just down the road, you can go visit dad. Now we're having to really uproot and change what the child's known. So in one respect, I do agree with the, the reversal of the onus where, the the non-moving party has to sort of say why it's in their best interest to stay, but it's it's them they have to prove it as opposed to the moving party saying, I'm moving and it's better for the child it's in the child's best interest. You're going whoa 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 I have to prove why that's not especially if there's been a passage of time between the order and the proposed move. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I think we're gonna see a lot of issues with the the reversal of like the reversal of the onus to prove the best interest of the child. Because before it was, it was. I think it was a bit cleaner where you're going, if I'm moving, I have to demonstrate why it's in the child's best interest. It's pretty clean to say why it's in the child's best interest. And you take into account the, the parenting arrangement or the status quo. But now dad has to prove it. I think you're going to see a lot of issues. And because we're so early on in the new law, I think you're going to see a lot of different case law going different ways. And I think we're going to be stuck with a sort of lack of interpretation for a bit. Well, I think you're right on that because it's going to be a while before the Court
0: of Appeal can give some interpretation of these new burden of proof rules. And now we're getting into more technical arguments. But I think from for our listeners' perspective, what you really have to boil down to is look at your arrangement that you have with your kids and just assume that you have to prove why the move good. Or if you're the one objecting, assume that you have to prove why it's not good. And I think if you operate from that baseline, you're already steps ahead of the game. Because you're planning your reasons as to why you've objected or why you're moving. And all of that gets factored into this best interest of yeah. the child. Because you're never looking at why is it good for you. Save and accept for now in the new legislation, another change is that... The judges can look at the reasons for the move.
1: Or before, it, you weren't supposed to. Right. Judges did, but it ought not to be in the analysis sometimes. Right. And they could ignore it. They could ignore it. And that was really damning
0: and difficult for, for some parties because they had very good reasons for the move. But they couldn't tender that as evidence, and they couldn't submit that. The court would say, well, that's great, but we don't care. But now it becomes incumbent on the judge hearing the case to at least assign some weight to that reason for relocating.
1: Right. The only, the only ways they were taking the reasons for relocations or mobility beforehand was if it tied directly into the child's best interest. Okay. So like often, ta- the majority of the cases we know, we see, is that someone's leaving to, for a better job. And you're going, well, that's, that's improving your life. You're going, well, if I'm earning significantly more income, I have better hours, and I can, you know, care more for the child or be more present. Well, inherently, it's in the child's best interest. But before the reasons just to for, lack, for a new employment, that alone wasn't enough because it was the same, you know, the, the same hours and a, a bit more in income may not be in the child's best interest to just uproot the relationship with the access parent. So you see, it, like the reasons for relocation weren't taken into account unless it tied into the child's best interest. But now you can actually take the reasons alone mm-hmm. as if it's for a good reason or you have good reasons to move, like support or other other things like that. It's great to take into account, and now they have to take it into account.
0: Which, again, I th- I think that's a great change. I mean, I think yeah. that
1: it's it's important
0: to allow the judges to at least consider why you want to move whereas before you weren't really sure as to whether they were going to listen to you or not. And the other piece of that, we were talking about maximum contact, right? And that is one of the primary considerations that judges will give uh, to these moves. And that factors directly into the best interest. It forms part of the test to, you know, to figure out whether or not this move can be allowed. And what we see now is maximum contact taking different forms. And maximum contact now can be by way of video calls, can be by way of telephone access, can be by way of Zoom. Um, because of course COVID has done a lot of negative things, but COVID has brought a lot of light into the legal world, both from a, you know, procedural, operational, and also giving us new ways and avenues that we can see each other. And you know, we've read cases starting in 2006 that have identified that technology is great in assisting to facilitate this contact because when you have cases where the the party wants to move overseas, how do you deal with maximum contact? Mm-hmm. Well, technology, and so technology is one way to demonstrate how you can how you plan to facilitate more contact with the parenting time parent because sometimes you'll have situations where that parenting time parent really only has every second weekend, and that's the only time they see or hear from their children. And that's, you know, that is sad. And you can use these moves as an opportunity, and especially as the parenting time parent, as an opportunity to enhance the time you have with your kids. Because from a strategic point, you know that the party
1: moving wants to
0: move. Mm -hmm. Well, it's family law litigation after all.
1: Leverage that move. I was just going to ask if the, so. In this situation, okay, mom has the the primary care decision making the vast majority of the time. Dad has every second weekend and some holiday time. Let's say mom has the perfect case. Everything's in line for the move. You're looking at it as dad and you're going. I think it is. You know, and you're getting counsel. Like it's probably in the child's best interest to move. What do you do in dad's position then? We t- you touched upon that. So so what's the next step for dad?
0: Well, so if I'm looking at it from the lens of dad, and you, you know, you've given me the scenario, mom's probably going to be successful in getting the move. Well, if I'm, if I'm there talking to dad, I'm saying, look, mom's probably going to get this move. Let's talk about what that means for you. Because ultimately, what do you do? Well, I just said leverage it. So consent to the move. But you are now in a position to set your terms for that. Okay, let's say this move is is you know close enough where the parties could could meet and drive and you're not flying anywhere. You know, you have time off in the summer, or you have vacation time built up, or your job yeah. allows you time flex time. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden, your every second weekend to see your kids just turned into, I want the kids all summer. Or Hey, I want every March break. I want every single holiday. I want a three weeks vacation with the kids at my choosing. I want to have them for at least one month in the summer. And you can have them for the school year because they're, of course, going to live with you and they'll go to school where, um, where they are. But I'm willing as the parenting time parent to meet you in the middle. This move you say is good for you. I'll believe that but I want something in return. And the best way to do it is to see your kids more and also to get yourself more tech, Use the technology, get yourself more video time with the kids, get yourself more even phone time with them if they don't want to be on the video. You have the ability to take a reasonable position and enhance what you have. And I think that's the mistake we see a lot of the time. Don't you agree? Like we see, yeah. we see so yeah. much...
1: Adversarial behavior. It's narrow. It's it's a narrow view of it. Where you're saying, if especially if you're saying I want to block it. You're going, if if you're looking at it holistically, if you're looking at it, if you take a step back, and you're going, what's in? Because you, essentially, you, you shouldn't have your lawyer tell you, you know, what's the child's best interest. You should take a child focused approach. I I tell my clients all the time, if you make child focused decisions, the litigation will go a lot smoother. The other party may be unreasonable. We've seen that. It's family law at the end of the day. It's going to be emotionally charged at all times. But if you take a child-focused approach and you take a step back, you're going, okay, is this in the child's best interest to move? And if, especially if you had the proper notice and then you saw a, a proper, a good parenting plan, and you can go, okay, I can spend actually more meaningful time with my child in during the summer, during holidays. I can still see them still have communication with their teachers, healthcare providers, whoever provides well-being to the child, whatever. You can still be an active parent, an involved parent, and not be there. Does it suck? Let's be honest here, it's not great.
0: Yeah, it's t- it sucks.
1: It's not, it's not great advising a client that your children will be out of town now. How do we, how do we fix that? How do we make it, pro- not profitable, how do we make it better, a better situation than you currently have, potentially? It's tough. <laughs> I'm sure you I've had clients break down and in, in, in meetings it, it's tough to advise
0: but I think you hit the nail on the head though
1: you said the word meaningful right
0: and to me that's where you should you should focus yeah because yeah it's quality over quantity and
1: that's true that's and a great point. you know
0: okay I'm consenting to mom having the kids in a different city and they're gonna go to school what does that mean for mom Mom's going to be, you know, she's not going to see the kids all the time. Of course, they're going to be in school, should be working, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. But meaningful time, you've just negotiated yourself vacation with the kids. You've just negotiated yourself all of their time off is with you. If you've taken a reasonable approach. Right, And that means that you don't just get to wake up in the morning, send them off to school, pick them up from school, do homework, dinner, bed. You actually get to have real time with your kids. Yeah. And I think that we have to, as lawyers and as people in these situations, encourage people to explore and come outside of the litigation a bit. You and know, to, you. to look yeah. at what is this going to do for me? And try to look at it in a positive context because more often than not, you can turn a really bad situation or a really emotionally charged situation into a positive experience but you have to be willing to do that and we just see it so often I mean it's it's sad what we see because it it hurts me to see my clients hurt like that Mm -hmm. and you know we started this episode by saying we're just people and I don't like to see somebody break down, and I don't like to tell them. We're not what, immune
1: to it. No, we're not, no, immune, we're to not
0: immune to it, and I don't want to, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't want to, I want to fix it. But the way we fix it and the way we approach these issues, um, I think as lawyers, has to change. The law has changed. And we're in a position now where there's not a lot of ju- judge or judicial inter- interpretation of the new rules.
1: That's true. Yeah. And
0: who helps judges make law? well, it's our job. It's our job. And so if we're coming up with really good plans, we're coming up with reasons why judges should order the way they do, or even resolutions that make sense, logical sense. We're not only doing our jobs for the public, but we're also servicing our clients and we're servicing you know, the profession as a whole and the bar as a whole, because we are coming up with real life solutions for people who don't necessarily have the ability to see through the fog right because they're so involved and that's why we have why we have our job that we do and i think at that point it's uh, it's time we take a break and we can hear from our sponsor and we'll get right back into it after that
2: this episode of off the cuff is brought to you by weaver simmons llp Northern Ontario's largest full-service law firm with over 30 lawyers and 60 support staff. For over 90 years, the law firm of Weaver-Simmons has proudly served the interests of Northern Ontario residents and has built its reputation based on exceptional services to its clients. For more information about the firm, please visit www.weaversimmons.com. The link is provided in the description below.
0: So getting back into it, we were just talking about resolutions, right? And I was talking about how it's important that we get two resolutions that are, you know, servicing all of, you know, the stakeholders. And can you just talk maybe a little bit about uh, what other avenues to resolution people could take?
1: Well, you can always take, the best one is just dealing with it with with your respective spouse, former spouse, the other parent. That's the best way to do it. Because I, I tell clients, if I don't hear from you, that's a great thing. Because because frankly if you need if if I become involved, it means there there's there's something to, to get over. There's some there's a there's a hump there, there's a barrier. And frankly, if you can do this without retaining lawyers and without the court system, it's gonna save you a lot of stress, a lot of time, and frankly a lot of money as well. Well and you know, the joke at
0: the Family Law Bar is the best resolution, everyone's unhappy.
1: Yeah. Right? It's the best I mean, one. That's, that's both the best clients, If both parties walk away unhappy, there's a good resolution there. Yeah, and I you're think, both compromised. And you have to, we have to encourage these
0: types of resolutions If people are, you know, if you're going to be a bit unhappy, that's probably how you know you've achieved a good result. Because yeah. no situation is going to be perfect. No. And I think that it's important that we, we remember that. And I think it's important that parties remember that and people remember that, is that, you know, separation is messy and you just got to... Navigate through the best way you can
1: that's the best a great way to look at it. Yeah,
0: and I think um, going back to our scenario earlier we we didn't touch on another common I guess uh, parenting arrangement, which is what we see now more and more which is which is really great to see is the equal parenting time and right. so what happens from that perspective, you know, you have a, a, a situation where spouses are separated but you've got equal parenting time, is there any difference? Well,
1: it's a little more old school law. Now we're talking about if, if you have an equal parenting time or an equal parenting arrangement, um, the moving party has the obli- or has the onus to prove that the move is in the child's best interest. So that's that's a along more with the traditional sort of view of, of, of the mobility or the relocation law. So if we have an equal, if, if mom or dad or, or whomever has an equal parenting arrangement, if one of them wants to move, they have to demonstrate that it's in the child's best interest to do so. And that's where all the factors come in, like the, the, you know, the financial aspect, the support aspect, all those things become, it's a fresh analysis for the judge. They have to really hone in on what is in the child's best interest. So it behooves the person to bring very compelling evidence to demonstrate that notwithstanding the equal parenting time, that it's gonna benefit the child, not the parent, benefit the child. To allow the move
0: and I think that
1: we can leave this
0: episode and what we can really take away from this today is that first of all if you find yourself in this situation go see a lawyer very quickly whether you're the one who's received this letter or pending move whether you're the one that wants to move go seek counsel at least at the first stages because that will help you Along the way, you might not need to retain counsel for the whole thing if you do it properly. And I think that's what you were touching on, right? Exactly. Is if you can get the proper legal advice at the start of your problem, it might not be a problem by the end.
1: That's a great way to look at it, yeah. Right?
0: And I think that that's where we can leave it today is because get the appropriate advice when you need it. Uh, You're, you know, hopefully with this episode, you're armed with some information that you can take, uh, you know, to... To your counsel, if you already have counsel, or to think about taking to counsel um, when you're thinking about these these situations.
1: Thank you for watching or listening to the end. Tune in next month where we'll have special guest Zachary Cordemans. He's a partner in the labor and employment department here at Weaver Simmons, and he'll be discussing vaccines in the workplace. Tune in next month.
0: Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our podcast.
1: Listen, do what you got to do to keep us around, okay?